Welcome to The Dig, a podcast from Jacobin Magazine. My name is Daniel Denver, and I'm broadcasting from Providence, Rhode Island. Capitol Hill used to be a lonely place for a leftist. And frankly, it still is. But now that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez appears to be headed to Washington, Senator Bernie Sanders will likely have some powerful company. Today, Sanders is my guest, and we're talking about the impact of Ocasio-Cortez's win and where the left goes from here. This is the latest interview in this week's Ocasio-Cortez Super Series, which has already included interviews with Ocasio-Cortez and Cynthia Nixon. Next up, tomorrow, is DSA member Julia Salazar, who is running for state senate in Brooklyn. Before we get started, I can only spend all of this time working on the podcast thanks to support from listeners very much like you at patreon.com slash the dig. So please take a moment and contribute what you can at p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash the dig. We also have a weekly newsletter for supporters and for those listeners who donate $10 or more a month, lefty books to send you. Okay, here's Bernie Sanders, a U.S. senator from Vermont. Senator Bernie Sanders, welcome back to The Dig. My pleasure. Good to be with you. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, what do you make of her victory? And do you think the Democratic establishment is honestly reckoning with what it means for American politics that a Democratic socialist knocked off one of the most powerful men in Congress? Well, let me answer the second part of your question by saying no, I don't think the Democratic (laughs) leadership fully appreciates uh, the significance of Alexandria's victory. Uh, And the first part of your question is, uh, I think, what she, and not just her, she has gotten a lot of attention, and her victory was extraordinary. She ran a really, really smart campaign, grassroots campaign. She knocked on a heck of a lot of doors. She had great volunteers. It was a brilliant campaign. But it's not just Alexandria. On the same night that Alexandria won, uh, Ben Jealous took on the Democratic establishment uh, in Maryland and became the uh, Democratic gubernatorial nominee. And on that same night, I think it was three or four uh, young people in the Baltimore area, uh, progressives, uh, defeated in a huge upset uh, incumbent members of the state Senate. Uh, And we are seeing that type of activity all over this country, people who are running progressive grassroots campaigns are doing very, very well uh, taking on establishment politicians. Uh, Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi recently insisted that socialism is not ascendant in the Democratic Party. What's your response to that? Well, you know, socialism, like capitalism, these are big words, and it can mean different things to different people. Uh, But if you look at what Alexandria was talking about, what I talk about, what other progressives talk about, by and large, they are very popular, not only uh, among people who consider themselves Democrats or progressives, but the American people uh, as a whole. And I think it's important to understand that the ideas that I fight for, that Alexandria fights for, are very, very popular ideas. For example, Uh, Right now, we have a minimum wage of $7.25 an hour, which is essentially 
a starvation wage. Nobody can live on that. When we advocate for a $15 an hour federal minimum wage, the American people support that. When we talk about pay equity for women, the American people overwhelmingly support that. When we talk about Medicare for all, uh, an idea which seemed kind of radical a few years ago, that is now mainstream, and that is a pretty good majority of the American people understand that health care is a right, not a privilege, that Medicare is working well for seniors right now, and there's no reason why it shouldn't be expanded to every man, woman, and child with the result of not only providing health care to all people, but saving this country substantial sums of money on health care, because right now we spend far more per capita than any other country. And tied to that, when we talk about the greed of the pharmaceutical industry, that you got five drug companies last year making $50 billion in profits, paying their CEOs outrageous uh, compensation packages, while one in five Americans can't even afford the drugs their doctors prescribe, the American people are, are with us. When we talk about demanding that the wealthiest people who are doing phenomenally well start paying their fair share of taxes, American people support that. When we talk about making public colleges and universities tuition-free, the American people support that. They support immigration reform. They support criminal justice reform. And in Philadelphia, Larry Krasner's doing a, a great job in that area. So I think the ideas that you could label it any way you want, but I call it basic, basic ideas dealing with social, economic, racial, and environmental justice, and the American people are there with us. In terms of the political appeal of those ideas, your your colleague, um, Senator Tammy Duckworth, suggested on CNN that the ideas espoused uh, on the campaign trail by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez could not succeed in places like the industrial Midwest. W- what's your response to that? Well, I think Alexandria gave a good response, as I recall, and she said that many of the Midwest states, we either did very, very well in the presidential primary, Democratic primary, or we won them. You know, we won Indiana. We won Michigan, we won Wisconsin, uh, and in a couple of Illinois, we lost by a, a, a very uh, few votes. Uh, I think the ideas that we are talking about uh, make sense in every state in the country. And I'll tell you from a political point of view why these ideas are so important. Uh, you will you will remember, uh, uh, Dan, that four years ago in the 2014 midterm elections. We had the lowest voter turnout, I think, since 1942. I think it was 70 wow. years or 72 years. Lowest voter turnout. We had something like 36% of the American people voting. So when the American people, when ordinary people get demoralized and give up on politics and don't vote, that is when Republicans do very, very well. And four years ago, as you recall, Republicans swept in the House and they swept in the Senate and they did very well in state legislatures, governor's races all over this country because we had the lowest voter turnout in 70 years. And what these ideas do when you talk to people and you say, is health care all right of all people or is it not? People say it isn't right. And there's no reason we don't join every other major country on earth in guaranteeing health care to all people. When you talk about the absurdity of hundreds of thousands of bright young people today not being able to afford to get a higher education, or millions of people leaving school deeply, deeply in debt. I have talked to so many young people, middle-aged people, who left school fifty, $100,000 in debt for the crime of what? Of getting an education. And in an 
increasingly complicated economy, people need that education. These are not radical ideas. And when you talk about the ideas, people say, yeah, that's right. That's what we got to do. And then they come out and vote. And progressives and Democrats will then win. But when you don't have a program that appeals to working people, ideas that get people excited, when you have low voter turnout, that's the Republicans' dream. And that's when they win elections. This sounds like a strategy that emphasizes expanding the electorate instead of attempting to appeal to suburban Republicans that we might hope are, I don't know, ultimately offended by something Trump says one day. I don't think it's an either or. or. I mean, I think there are many uh, people in this country, moderate type Republicans, who are offended by the fact that the president of the United States is a pathological liar. (laughs) <laughs> uh, that the president of the United States is a racist and a sexist and a xenophobe. Look, uh, you don't have to be a progressive to express disgust and outrage when the Trump administration is is tearing little children, children three, four years of age, from the arms of their mothers. I mean, you know, you don't have to be a progressive to be outraged about that. And all across this country, Republicans, conservatives feel that same sense of outrage and an understanding that is not what America is supposed to be about. You know, you don't have to be a progressive to know there's something wrong when Donald Trump keeps attacking uh, countries that have been allied with us, you know, for decade after decade and gravitates toward authoritarian uh, countries. So, you know, I think there are a lot of folks out there, moderate Republicans, uh, who are appalled by Trump's behavior uh, and are prepared to vote for Democrats. But most importantly, I think we have got to understand that we have one of the lowest voter turnouts of any major country on earth. And as I mentioned, 2014, the lowest turnout in 70 uh, years. And we have got to speak to those working people who are white and black and Latino and Asian American and Native American and talk about issues that make sense to them. If we could raise the voter turnout uh, from the 36 percent it was four years ago to a measly 50 percent in 2018, Democrats would then control both the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate. That I am absolutely assured of. So the goal is to organize, to educate, but you cannot do that unless you talk about issues that are meaningful to working people. There's always a lively debate on the left over electoral politics, as you well know. And a lot of people in Democratic Socialists of America advocate supporting candidates in Democratic primaries, as they did for your 2016 run and did with Ocasio-Cortez in New York, but also believe it's necessary to build a more radical independent power base outside of the Democratic Party. And you rose up through elected politics as an independent and remain an independent. And in Vermont, the Progressive Party, which formed to support your run for Burlington mayor, now has elected officials across the state. What do you think is the right balance to strike between building independent power? And it didn't quite work that way in, in Burlington. What happened is in way back when, you know, ancient history back in 1981 <laughs> when I first, <laughs> I know it's kind of George Washington's time, but uh, when we won in 1981, what we did is what I believe in. We did coalition politics. And that is we put together a coalition of uh, workers and and unions, of environmentalists, uh, of women, uh, of we ended up getting the support of the Burlington Patrolmen's Association, the police officers. I mean, it was a broad based coalition of workers uh, and environmentalists and people who are concerned about the well-being of their communities. And that's the 
coalition that got me reelected three separate times. And out of that came the Progressive Party, which, as you indicate, is doing quite well uh, in Vermont right now. Uh, I, 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 I'm quite sure that uh, the Progressive Party in Vermont has more members uh, in the Vermont State Legislature than any other uh, third party in America. And that is because they have done a good job in focusing on the needs of, of working people. But bottom line for me nationally right now, uh, you know, I think there may be some exceptions to the rule in this or that community around the country, but I think the action has got to be within the Democratic Party. And I think what we have been trying to do with some success is to not only open the doors of the Democratic Party to working people and to young people, but we're in the process of changing rules as well. Uh, as you will recall, in the 2016 Democratic presidential primary, uh, you had uh, superdelegates who exerted an enormous amount of power. If my memory is correct, I think Hillary Clinton had 500 superdelegate votes before the first real vote uh, was cast in Iowa. And I think there is an understanding that makes... Which made it seem a lot like a coronation. Exactly. And I think what you are going to see, we're about three quarters of the way there in a very laborious process, is the Democratic National Committee changing that rule and eliminating the ability of superdelegates to vote on the first ballot. That would be a step forward. In New York State right now, and you know, it, you know, we are dealing as a nation with this whole issue of voter suppression. Everyone says, well... You know, those are Republican states. That's Alabama. That's Mississippi. That's Wisconsin. Well, guess what? It's New York State as well, where if you wanted to vote in a primary, Democratic primary in New York State, you have to change your party res- uh, party uh, uh, registration six months before the primary date, which is totally appalling. And what you have in New York State is a collusion between the Democrats and Republicans as an incumbent protection policy, which has to be changed. So what? And we're working on that. So there are a lot of ways that we are, we're making progress, not only by electing progressives, but by changing the rules, by trying to open the doors and bring people in who are going to stand up and not be and fight for working families and not simply be dependent uh, on wealthy campaign contributors and the needs of the wealthy. What lessons might the U.S. learn from the fight in the U.K. against Theresa May, which is now, of course, led by a Labor Party under Jeremy Corbyn? Well, Corbyn, I think it is widely recognized, uh, ran a very, very smart uh, campaign. And it was not unlike you know, what we are trying to do uh, in this country. And that is he, against, by the way, not dissimilar from what happened in this country, he took on the entire establishment of the Labor Party, uh, who had moved very far to the right, became very establishment, and said, you know what? Uh, in the UK, our job is to represent working people and have the courage to stand up to the wealthy and the powerful. Uh, and he came forward, <clears throat> came forward with a very progressive agenda uh, that caught the imagination of workers uh, and young people alike. And they ended up not winning, uh, but doing a heck of a lot better uh, than people had expected that they would. Uh, so Corbyn had to take on not only the conservative party, but he had to take on the establishment of the Democratic Party. Uh, and that's not unlike the situation that as progressives where we are in, we are in right here in the United States. So the bottom line is that that I think that speaking out on an agenda that makes sense to working people, understanding that we're living at a time of massive income and wealth inequality, that we have a political system which is a result 
of Citizens United Supreme Court decision is a corrupt system allowing billionaires to buy elections. That in the midst of all of that, candidates have got to be bold. They have to have the courage to take on the big money interests who have so much power in our society today and to stand with working people. And when you do that, I think people will do not only well in politics and win elections, but I think it will improve life in the United States of America. Senator Bernie Sanders, thank you so much. And thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bernie Sanders is a U.S. senator from Vermont. Thank you for listening to The Dig from Jacobin Magazine. As Marx once said after noting that working-class politics compels legislative recognition of particular interests of the workers by taking advantage of the divisions among the bourgeoisie itself, while other podcasts have only interpreted the world in various ways, our point is to change it. We are posting new episodes every week. This week, tons of episodes. The Dig was produced by Alex Lewis. Music by Jeffrey Brodsky. Follow us on Twitter at The Dig Radio, and please find us wherever you get podcasts and subscribe. If it's on iTunes, please leave us a review. Those reviews help put us in touch with new listeners. What also does that is you spreading the word to your friends, family, strangers. All propaganda on our behalf is greatly appreciated. And please, last but not least, do find us on patreon.com slash the dig and make a monthly contribution. Even a few bucks a month is a big help. <laughs>